Saved by the blood, number 210.
Amen, please. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service this morning. Yes. Pray that uh, you bless the, the preaching of the Word of God, and you'll prepare our hearts to respond according in the right manner to your Word, that um, you would also thank you for allowing us to have the, the privilege to gather here. We ask you to work to be with the, the people who are, who are affected by the fire on Maui. Yes. I pray that you would use this situation to somehow to bring glory to you and to your son and that you would make, soften people's hearts to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple pages forward, 212, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Singing, huh? Yeah, I like deep mouths, you know, because they sing good. 
No, no, that's not an office, all right? I want you guys to sing, all right, when you, when you sing in church, all right? You're doing a good job so far this morning. Let's sing one more before Pastor comes. 485, uh, 87. 487.
Jamaica back from her trip to the ocean, the deep ocean, with compliments of the Navy. And I asked her if she got seasick. She said, yes. That's why I never joined the Navy. <laughs> so happy to have her back in church. And then uh, Sarah, thanks for visiting today. Good to meet you. And then um, birthdays this week, well, Tim's birthday on the 15th. And Gia, and then Hugh, and then Kayla, and Arvin Crystal have an anniversary. So congratulations to all of you this week and this month. He is a trip, that boy. He is a trip. Actually, they all are. So full of energy. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I am thinking, you know, Francis, the songs you chose today, really good as usual. And uh, yet, today's theme it seems to be about personal salvation. Now I belong to Jesus. Uh, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, where a prophet asked a man, a stranger, the question was, to whom belongest thou? To whom, where'd you come from? Who do you belong? Who's your master kind of thing? To whom do you belong to? Well, I know who I belong to. Do you know who you belong to? I belong to Jesus because I got saved a long time ago. And so I belong to him. He belongs to me. It's good to have the assurance that you belong to Christ. And so this morning, the message is going to be from the book of Exodus. But before I get to that, I want to pass on to you information that's in the church email bulletin. We're going to help uh, Grace Baptist Church on the island of Maui on Lahaina. Their church, their church burned down. And you know what happened in Maui because of fires and everything? And so we know some folk there. And they know some folk there. And so uh, we want to be a help to them. We're praying for them and hope you are too for Maui in general, but especially the Haina. And uh, many people in their church, their houses burned down and they have nothing left. And uh, one of the assistant pastors uh, who knows Nathan, uh, Caleb Woodfin, uh, pastor's son, he has nothing. A lot of them have nothing. So we're going to help them as much as we can. So here's what you can do. You can write a check out to the church, IBC, and then write on the note, the memo, Maui Relief. And then when the folks who count the offering will know that, they will separate that from the general offering. And we'll write one check to Grace Baptist Church to help them out. And so we'll go two weeks so that we can give opportunity to people to give. And so uh, we personally will do something, and we'll let the church do something as well. So we will add to whatever you give for their, their needs, okay? This is like a bad movie. Uh, I'm a visual person, and I have seen destruction, and it's not real. I've seen war footage. That's real. And uh, this is real. Some of the air footages from drones, it's like, wow, this was once a resort area. There's nothing there now. All those old wooden structures, all burnt to the ground. And uh, people are blaming people already. Finger pointing is going on already. They should have done this. Someone should have done that. You know, the time is now to not blame people. The time is now to help people who have needs. Right. And so we need to just pull ourselves together and realize if you were there, we'd want to help you. And we want to help people that maybe you don't know. We know a few people. So in the next two Sundays, let's be generous to help them out. And uh, that would be a blessing. Uh, a lot of international organizations, the national organization will be coming down to help. Frank and Graham's ministry will come down to help, which is a good thing. They have some they have some oomph behind them, and a lot of people can support them, and they're going to come over and help. 
And so uh, that's a good thing. You know, I noticed that when there's a need like this, it's Christians who respond. I don't find too many celebrities responding except Christian celebrities. I don't find some athletes who are very wealthy. I don't see them responding. Maybe they do, but I don't know about them. I'm just saying that it's usually Christians respond to tragedies like this. And this is a tragedy. Believe it or not, it's a tragedy. You have nothing. If you go, if you can drive in your car and go home today to your home, you should be grateful. You should, whether you rent or you own, you should be grateful you have a place to sleep tonight. Really. And so please help as much as you can. And I'm sure God will bless you for that. All right. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Oh, by the way, as you're turning there, uh, on Tuesday about 2.30, if you want to congregate with us down at the stadium area, uh, we're going to ride the rail back and forth one time. That's all we can handle. <laughs> but uh, just for the sake of the visual and the experience of doing that, the birdies were riding on that one time, and uh, the last time they were here, we were not here. This is a lot of fun. It was nice to be and all that. So if you want to do that, join us. I need a head count so that we can get the holo card. And if you already have a holo card, you're all set. But we'll have to get head count to see if you're going to come too, so we know who to expect and wait for you or not kind of thing. So just let me know, and then uh, we'll set that up. All right, so this coming Tuesday at about 2.30, meet down there at Aloha Stadium Air, that, that, that air, whatever it's called, across from, the, across from the stadium. That's where they're going to, you can park your car and so on and catch the ride. Walk up there at that thing. And so, uh, okay, any questions on that one? My one and last time to ride the rail. <laughs> All right, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. A big book. Hope to cover some of these chapters in the Sunday School Time at 9.30 and preach a little bit about it at 10.45. Exodus chapter 1. There's a lot of typology or symbolism in the book of Exodus in the characters especially. And so I'd like to talk about that today and focus on one particular character and how you and I can overcome this one particular character. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 8. Chapter 1, verse number 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us, come on, let us deal. It's not a Jobotam expression. Come on, man. Come on, man, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasured, treasured cities, Pithom and Ramus. Uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Verse 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shiprah, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then shall she live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, 
Why have you done this thing? And have saved the men, children alive. And the midwife said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered, our heir, the midwives came in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because of the midwives feared God, that he had made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Lord, bless the message today. Speak to us. Help us to realize that this Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. And there's so many things about this Pharaoh that reminds us of the devil. And uh, in this passage, we learn about the people of God, how they are also persecuted and hated. And we pray that you help us to get something out of the message today. <coughs> Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, Pharaoh's cruel treatment of the Hebrew people reminds us that he is a picture of the devil, which he is. And this new king uh, knew not Joseph, uh, just like what Joseph did to save Israel, to save uh, the Egyptians, to save the whole world because of, you know, the story about the, the seven years of uh, Plentius and the series of famine, how he was put in place by God. So he could be that one man to save the world. And this new Pharaoh that came in, uh, Isaiah 52 says, he is an Assyrian. This new Pharaoh that came in did not recognize him as the Savior of the world. Just like the devil does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And so there's a parallel there. And I want you to see that this outsider, this non-Egyptian, had no cause to oppress the Hebrews. Uh, his suspicions of them joining up with uh, another country to overtake the, us, the Egyptians, and uh, this, this realm, uh, he had no reason to think that. In the history of Egypt and Israel, when Egypt, when Israel moved in, uh, Jacob and the, the 70 souls, when they moved in there and they lived there for a period of time, they never had one instance, not one recording of them ever doing a coup or uprising against the government, against the Egyptian pharaoh. None at all. He had nothing to fear about that. He was unfounded, his fears of an uprising like that or joining another fourth, another nation and defeating the Egyptians and leaving the country. He had no fear for that, but it was in his head. He was afraid. He had suspicion. And so this uh, outsider, this Assyrian king, he was like that. Uh, it's kind of like if you did a background check and you're clear, why would you fear this person being a terrorist if his background check cleared? There's no reason for that. There's no, there's no, no history. And the Hebrews had no history. But this Pharaoh, this man, uh, he thought like this regardless of uh, how the Hebrews behaved themselves before. So the king here is like the devil. He suspected them of doing something. It reminds me of Ro Revelation chapter 12. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And so he reminds me about the devil, an accuser of the brethren. Do you know that when you, as a Christian, to save man or woman, when you do something wrong, the devil shows up and he accuses he accuses you before God like you deserve to die, you deserve to be cursed, you deserve to go to hell kind of thing. Now, he cannot send you to hell, you know. The devil cannot do that. Neither will the Lord send you to hell if you actually transgress to such a degree that you're worthy of death. Now, he might take you home. Your life might end as a severe chastisement or a severe punishment, but he will not send you to hell. That is not possible. But the accuser accuses us before God that we're unworthy of salvation one worth of being his children, that we are just, we're just a pits. We're just so bad. We're so vile. You know how it is. You promised God you'd never do something again. Have you ever done that? 
Here's how you know you're a Christian. You're saved. You feel guilty about a particular sin or sins. And you say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, please help me not do it again. And you really mean it. You are sincere as can be. You mean it to not do that sin again. But you do it again. Everyone has gone through that. You've been saved over 10 years. Maybe less. Am I telling you the truth? We all go through that. I have gone through that. So many times in my life, before, not so much now, I promised God not to hate this guy, and I still hate this guy. I still hate the Yankees. And I, I can't get over that. But their incidences and personality, I, it just grates on me. I, I really despise arrogance. For some reason, I just don't like people who are arrogant. And uh, I try real hard to love everybody, to be gracious to everybody, and I think I, I have been able to do that. But when something comes up again, that old flesh comes up again. And, I, and then sometimes it's, it's personal things I don't need to tell you about because we all go through some things. And I promise God, I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. And I did it. The very next day. You know how it is. You're in church. You feel good. God spoke to you. God bless you. God encouraged you. And you go out leaving. Oh, man, I got victory over this. And then something happens. Some woman drives by and, and she's putting on her makeup on herself on her texting. And then she, she gets on your nerve. Then you honk at her and you yell at her. All these kind of things happen. This is life. But what you promised God, you're not going to do it again. And so the devil says, you see that? You see that? You see that? I told you, God, he is a hypocrite. I told you, God, that guy is not even saved. I told you, God, that man, that guy, that girl, she is just a great A government-inspected hypocrite. You got to condemn her. The Lord says, no. And you know why the Lord says no? Because we have someone to intercede for us in heaven, our advocate. He says, Lord, excuse me, Father. Father, excuse me. This, this, this guy in the 60s, this cat, nowadays, California style, this guy, the Lord says, Jesus says, Father, this guy, the devil, the devil says, you talking about me? The devil says, address me properly. Don't you know who I am? The Lord says, hey, watch your mouth. I know who you are. Have some respect over here. Don't forget where you're standing. The devil says, and he says, this guy, and the, and the Lord says, no, quiet, just hush, just hush. Yeah, shut up. Father, that's my child down there. He trusted me back in 1970. He belongs to me. He belongs to me. And he has failed so many times, but he's trying to do the best thing. And he does love me, but sometimes he's so unlovely, unlovable. He's sometimes so bad, but Lord, he belongs to me. And he belongs to you. He's one of ours. He's one of our children. So, Lord, have mercy on him. The father says, yeah, you're right. The Lord doesn't say, yeah, but yeah, you're right, son. Okay. And so he intercedes for us. But the accuser just keeps on, keeps on, and keeps on. And sometimes we give him reason, give him occasion to be accused. We do the dumbest things, the stupidest things, the silliest things, the most thoughtless things, that caused the devil to accuse us before the Father. And we're guilty of that. We're guilty of it. So, nonetheless, the fact is, uh, the Pharaoh accused and thought ill of the Hebrew people had no cause to do that. Well, uh, that king is like the devil, and he does not know Joseph. Uh, Joseph, of course, is a strong picture, a strong type of Jesus Christ. So, when you think of the life of Joseph, your mind does go to Jesus Christ to come in the New Testament. 
And what Joseph is like and was like, that portrays and pictures and foreshadows what Jesus really is when he came in the New Testament. Joseph, loved of his father above the siblings. Jesus Christ, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Many parallels. Uh, Joseph was humiliated. He was exalted. Jesus Christ was humiliated. And then he was exalted. See? So many parallels. And there's about 30 different things that you can say, ah, oh, that reminds me of Jesus Christ. I just want to say at this point that he is like a type of Christ. And Satan does not acknowledge him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I mean, he is. Jesus is. But the devil says, I don't recognize who you are. I don't know who this Joseph is. Well, that's just the devil, you know. And by the way, I want to tell you, the devil is very apt to rob people's minds of who Jesus is in this world. Everything he can do to erase. Everything he can do within his power by different means to erase the name of Jesus or the person of Jesus and the work of Christ from the minds of the general population he does try. I hope you can understand that. It goes on every time, every year. There's no longer Christmas break. It's winter break. No longer is it Easter break. It is now spring break. You see? Everything to genetically rob people's minds of who Jesus really is. Not acknowledge him. That's what the devil does. And that's what this is like over here. Fear is like the devil. He's like Satan. And so the plan now is to control the plan is to control the people. But I want to say this before I go on to this point. Because the devil does not acknowledge him. But do you know that one day he will? Amen. Now look at here. One day the devil is going to acknowledge Jesus Christ like he's supposed to. Like we all will. Amen. Now I want you to think about this. I'll read it to you. But think about this verse. Philippians chapter 2 verse number 10. Yeah. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that every knee would include spiritual beings. Not just Hitlers and the Mussolinis and the Pol Pots of the world. But everyone's going to bow before Jesus Christ one day and acknowledge him as the Lord God of the universe. The Savior of the world. One day it's going to happen. They will bow down. Now I can see the devil reluctantly bowing down to Jesus Christ saying you are the Lord. Because he hates that. Because he wants to be the Lord. He wants to be worshipped. He wants what, what Jesus gets. Glory. And so I can see that happening in my mind. And I'm going to be there as an observant witness. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's about time. You bow down to your God. You try to be the God of this world. Now look at you, you loser. <laughs> How's that go? You loser. The devil. That would be a good day. It's okay for you to smile and rejoice when that happens. Because it's good. You know, David rejoiced at the fall of his enemies. Some of you people are so spiritual, you cannot rejoice when the enemy falls. People say, oh, you should rejoice at the loss. Why not? Why not? David did. And the Lord will. Look, it doesn't make you vindictive or ugly or hateful. It just makes you glad that the, the good guys win. Okay? I'm glad when the, the Yankees lose. Oh, the Yankees. <coughs> the Yankees were... Like 10 games ahead early this season, they're doing so good. Everybody predicted the World Series, and now they only got three games over 500. They're a bad team right now. I rejoice in that because they are my enemies. You folks, you have no sense of humor. Every knee shall bow. Just think about it. The atheist, 
the wise, all-knowing atheists of the world, the great debaters, the intelligent authors, contemporaries who make fun of Jesus Christ and say the Gospels are full of errors, they contradict themselves. It's not credible. All these intelligent people one day are going to bow before Jesus Christ and confess that, sorry, sorry, you're the Lord. I didn't mean it. The Lord says, you did mean that. I didn't mean to make fun of you. You did make fun of me. I didn't mean to rob people's minds of, of who you really are. The Lord says, you did, intentionally. There's, there's an atheist on YouTube, Neil deGrasse, someone like that. He's a very eloquent teacher. You ever listen to him? He teaches some things about science that are true. But then again, to this evolutionary, get into this uh, no God kind of thing. And like, he, he does stuff like this. These people that say they believe in God, he makes fun. He goes, ah. and the expression he makes is so good. It's just, it makes you feel so stupid to believe in God. That is so unscientific. To believe in a heaven. And he does those gestures and things, and it makes you feel like, yeah, he's right. I'm an idiot to believe in God. One day, if he's not saved, he's going to bow before Christ and say, you are the Lord. I'm not going to go in that camp. I'm not going to encourage people to say, yeah, there is a God. It's up to you, to each his own. No, no, there is a God. There is a Savior. He did die for our sins. He did rise from the dead body. He's in heaven now. And that's what the Bible talks about. And that's what we shall talk about. And no matter what anybody says about how wrong we are and how dumb we are as Christians to believe that nonsense, they keep it out of the government. They try to say, well, a separate church and state. You know what? The founding fathers did not hold back talking about God in their documents. They were honored and they beseeched the help from heaven during conflict. They were praying, they were fasting, they were asking God for advice and strength and victory in combat. And so, nothing wrong with that. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. Psalm 20 tells us that. So, the wise person believes in God. He knows who God is. He knows where his strength comes from. He knows where his help comes from. He comes from above the hills. Psalm 121. And only a self-centered, egotistical maniac, a self-made man will actually think, I am in control of my own destiny. I mean, I got I got a $500,000 yacht. I got it made. I'm making money's coming in without even trying. It's, I am so filthy rich. I can have anything I want. You know, one time Michael Jackson went shopping at a mall, but he couldn't go shop with people around because people adore him because he is their idol. You know, Mike, remember Michael Jackson? Mike, remember Michael Jackson? The moonwalker, remember him? Some of you folks don't want to admit you know him. <laughs> but he went shopping one time and they, he, he rented out the whole mall. He rented out the whole mall. Got a hold of management. His people did, and he went shopping by himself, and he just bought whatever he wanted to buy. Nobody there around to bother him, ask for autographs and stuff like that. Can he take a selfie? No, he just went, he's got the money like that. He had the money like that. But if Michael Jackson was not saved, what does he have? What does he have now if he was not saved? Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a prophet man gain the whore and lose his own soul? That's Michael Jackson and others like him.
People don't have to be famous like him to have the same bad situation. Well, so this man, the new king, the new pharaoh, is not an Egyptian. He's an outsider, and he's very cruel to the Hebrew people, to God's people. And he, the Bible says here in verse number 11, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. Verse 12, the more they afflicted them, verse number 13, uh, they served with rigor. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. Verse 14 closes with, with, with rigor. You get the idea that the, the devil, or the Pharaoh in this case, is so cruel and so suspicious, so lacking in uh, any kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, self-confidence, or uh, he, he is just um, so afraid of what could happen, he does that to God's people. Very cruel. The word here is very cruel. Uh, now, come to Mark chapter 5 in the New Testament. Mark chapter 5. You have a great illustration of a man who was treated very cruelly by the devil. Mark chapter 5. You may know this story. If not, you should know this story. This is a direct statement about what the devil does to a man. Pharaoh, cruel, evil, wicked. They were slaves to Pharaoh. They are slaves to Pharaoh today. The real Pharaoh, the real evil one, the devil. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when, they were, and when he was come out of the ship, Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. A man's possessed. Verse 3. Who had his, notice this, look at his living conditions. Look at where his residence is. He had his dwelling among the tombs. Where does he live? In a graveyard. Isn't that kind of abnormal to live in a graveyard? I will tell you that normally he would not be living in a graveyard. He's not in his right home as a rightful as a man in his right mind, in his right heart. He's in a place that is very unusual, very bizarre, because something is indwelling him that makes him do this. The man is possessed. And so his place of residence, a graveyard, not a normal place. If he was normal, he wouldn't be living there. One time, I was up in Michigan a long time ago at my brother-in-law's house. He's got a lot of property. In the back of his property, among the hardwood trees, is a graveyard that was put there by a previous generation. And there's some, some headstones there. And so we was on the little Kubota kind of piece of equipment going through it. And my niece, uh, she's an adult now. She's in her 30s. But when she was a little girl, she was driving it. We're going through, and she said, shh. I say, shh, what? I'm thinking bear, not a bear. I'm thinking snakes. They say there's no snakes in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I don't know how snakes know to not get up there. I mean, do they see a sign that says, sorry, no trespassing? But they said there's no poison snakes up in there, which my brother-in-law swears by that. He's never seen one, but he's seen bears, seen a lot of deer. But she says, shh. I said, why? She says, look. And she's pointing to the graveyard. She says, shh, be quiet, or if you talk loud, they'll hear you. Now, she was in her little mind thinking that people could hear from the dead in this graveyard. 
Now, I would never think of going camping by that tombstone or that graveyard. It just spooks me. It's not me. I'm just a girl. Uh, I, I just cannot imagine doing that. My idea of camping is the Holiday Inn, um, La Quinta. That's my idea of camping. Hot running water, shower, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Hot breakfast in the morning. But not sleeping in a graveyard, I, that's not normal. This man staying there because he's possessed by the devil. A very sad situation. Not only that, look at what's happened to him. He's powerful. Um, he's got supernatural power. Verse number three, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that, verse four, he had been off bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. This man is supernaturally strong. He's powerful. Not his own physical strength. He did not get powerful and strong because of weight training. He didn't go down to 24-hour fitness, things like that. He's supernaturally strong because of the power that's in him. This guy's possessed by the devil. And so they tried to handcuff him. They tried to tie him up. He broke the chains. Plucked them asunder, just tore right off as if it was nothing. This guy's unusually strong. Something is wrong with him. He's not on drugs. He's not on drugs. He's got something in him that's making him extra, extra strong. He's possessed by the devil. So his place of residence, the graveyard, his power is supernatural. And look at his pain, verse number five. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains. And in the tombs, he's doing this. He's crying. Now, his crying is not only shouting, screaming at night, howling like an animal, like a wolf. He's screaming for sure. He's crying, but he's also crying because he's in pain. So he's crying with a loud voice. He's screaming, bothering people at night. And it wasn't just midnight, but he's crying also because of the pain. Look, he's cutting himself with stones. He's cutting himself with stones. Remember another time where people are cutting themselves with stones to get a hold of their false god, Baal? Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember that in 1 Kings chapter 16 or 17? And they're whooping around like a bunch of Comanche Indians and cutting themselves because their god is not answering by fire and consuming the sacrifice. And Elijah's back over here making fun of them. Imagine that, the man of God making fun. Teasing. Be sarcastic. Hey, hey! It's been six hours since anything, since we got this thing going. Nothing's happened. You need to cry louder because maybe your, your God's on a far trip. So get his attention. But now, demonstrate your sincerity in him. Uh, cut your, and so they cut themselves with knives and blood's all over the place. It's a bloody sacrifice. It's a bloody worship service. Literally blood. And he's making fun of them. He needs to go to sensitivity training, Elijah does. <laughs> he wouldn't make a good pastor, would he? So mean. Well, this man's cutting himself and he's crying because he's in pain. Now, I want you to see the devil. Pharaoh reminds me, that new king reminds me of the devil. And this man in this chapter, in this story, reminds me of the, the, the grief and the torment and the torture this man goes through. The devil is evil. The devil is cruel. And the, he, he, this, the bondage here, 
the, inflict, the inflicted pain that this man's going through, the devil does that. Um, when I think about this kind of scenario and this kind of pain, the crying, screaming, and the crying for agony, if anybody thought the devil was a innocent, nice little Santa Claus type, um, no, you're totally wrong about that. And the pitchfork and the red costume and the fork tail and you know, all that kind of stuff to make him, to, to euphemize him, to make him a little bit innocent is totally, totally wrong. It's almost like the devil says, yeah, go ahead and do that. Make, portray me like that. Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, Halloween costume. Go ahead, make me, make me kind of innocent like that. That's fine because I want people to think I'm innocent. I want people to think I'm just cute and cuddly. But you know he's not in his nature. You know a polar bear, a polar bear cub is cute and cuddly. A grizzly bear baby cub is cute and cuddly. A tiger, a lion, a leopard, any kind of uh, predator, big cat, they're cute when they're puppies or cute like that. I saw some videos of a, of a German shepherd or a dog at night sleeping. You know how dogs sleep, they all curl up like that. And the the, the guy's uh, ring camera or something in black white, they showed a leopard crawling up to that dog. Crawling up a dog, got real close to it and the dog's all curled up really comfortable and sleeping and the dog was attacked by the leopard and almost the dog tries to fight back the leopard grabbed it by its throat and just went off out of camera view that is like the devil vicious powerful unbelievably cruel and this is how the pharaoh treated the hebrew people he was really evil and wicked now i think about the pharaoh's oppression i think about the devil and how not only the hard labor and the vigor and the persecution and everything. I think about war times in which when you read books about war, you realize that, man, you don't ever want to get into war as a soldier, as a civilian. 1919, 19, um, I need to say this, the, the, the Pharaoh's attempt to eradicate or to limit the population of the Hebrews was first of all, work them to death. Then secondly, it was to eliminate the possibility of future generations by killing off the BB boys. That was the permanent fix. That's population control. Hmm, that's interesting. There's accusation of certain people now trying to control the population. Don't know if it's true or not, but that'd be logical. There's some well-known people with a lot, a lot of money and influence and sway trying to control the population. Now, who would be behind something like that? Not good Christian people. <laughs> Devilish people. When I control the population. It happened in Egypt. It happened in Jesus' time. Herod did this. And anytime I think about abortion, I think about the devil trying to kill babies of all male or female. It doesn't matter. I think about I think about these abductions. I think about uh, what goes on and how kids, boys and girls, teenagers, adults. Our traffic I think about that who's behind all of that stuff well you can guess whatever you want to guess but I would say in principle the devil's behind all that because he's after death he's after killing people he's after killing babies and anybody why 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 would the devil want to kill people well I think basically it would be to kill them off so that they don't have a chance to get saved I think basically it is about cutting them off from ever having a chance to hear the gospel and getting saved I think that's a baseline for the devil and I would say he's very successful about that because he's got everything behind him in this world to support that. Well, this man is in torture. This man is in pain. 
the devil does. I think about war. I think about how cruel war is. 1931 to 1937, the Japanese people, the Japanese emperor, sent people over to China. And you've heard about the rape of Nanking? They used the word rape of Nanking because literally the Japanese soldiers raped a lot of women. 80,000 were raped. I'm not sure how they got that count, but that's a lot of people. That's too many. One is too many. The Japanese soldiers were so wicked, so cruel, that they went in and their, 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 their work there was called a rape. They also murdered 300,000 citizens just because they could. They had the upper hand. They had the weapons. They were merciless. They're wicked. They were devilish. They were devilish. Uh, Japanese soldiers. I have a picture. I don't have a picture, but there's a picture of a Japanese soldier with his rifle, his long bayonet, and uh, he's among dead Chinese men and women. Uh, and I believe in his other hand, he's maybe hold. He's got a strap over. He's got his rifle like this at, in a relaxed position, but in his other hand, he's got the head of a Chinese guy. And the worst part about that picture, he was smiling as if he was proud of what he did. Now, I would say that would be the tone of the soldiers in that time. I would say that's what they did because they were empowered to. Maybe they were out of control, but nonetheless, they did that. That's devilish. And so, also other reports from the British, uh, prisoners of war, World War II. 19 Japanese were tried for medical experiments at Truk, at Truk. 1944, the defendants at this trial murdered American prisoners by injecting them with uh, strep streptococcus bacteria. Now, why do that? Why do that? Others clamped tourniquets on prisoners' arms and legs for seven hours. When these were removed, of course, the prisoners died of shock. Prisoners of war in the Philippines. Three and a half years, British soldiers received less than a cup of filthy rice a day. Gross malnutrition led to loss of vision or unrelenting nerve pain. Disease was rife, the testimony says. This guy wrote in a journal or in a, um, in a book. Malaria and dysentery was universal. Gruesome tropical ulcers. Lieutenant Barrett wrote about them in his diary. The majority quote of the ulcers were caused by bamboo scratches and cuts incurred when workers were working naked in the jungle. Leg ulcers of over a foot in length and six inches wide, bone exposed and rotting for several inches, a common sight, end quote. That's cruel. That's inhumane. That's devilish. You know, Martin Luther wrote a song about the devil. A mighty fortress is regard, a bullet never failing. Our helper he among the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, watch carefully, still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not an equal, but Pharaoh came close. Herod came close. Wartime soldiers came close to equal the devil's wickedness and cruelty, but they don't come close. But you get a, a, a preview or a reminder how wicked the devil is by what people can do to other people. That's what it is. A reminder of how wicked and cruel and evil and punishing the devil is. You don't want to hold his hand. You want to be his friend. You don't want to go and make friend, make nice to him. 
It's like when you reach across the aisle to, to be nice to the other side in Congress, they turn around and slap you and stab you in the back. You can't do that. You're sworn enemies. That's why you get elected. This is not a political statement. This is just a practical outworking of how you don't, you don't play with your enemies. You overcome them. You defeat them. Now, how do you defeat the enemy? Not Pharaoh, but the, the real Pharaoh, the real enemy, the real devil, the real wicked one. How do you defeat him? I'll give you some hints right now, okay? So I've told you about how Pharaoh reminds us of the real devil, a real spiritual being that hates us and hates Christ and hates anything that is Christian. Hates people, wants to kill them. Wants to ruin their lives, wants to hurt them badly. Well, he seems pretty much no defense against him, but there is. There is. You and I can live a life as a Christian almost unhurt by the devil. Almost. In other words, you have a way of overcoming him. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Listen carefully. Here's what we can do about him. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 quickly. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Hebrews cannot do much against the Pharaoh except trusting God. Poor things. <laughs> they did the only thing and the right thing they could do. And in essence, everything here now is about trusting in God. But we have responsibilities. 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what we can do against our wicked past masters, that evil new king, Pharaoh, who does not recognize Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6 begins. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may do something what? Devour. Now, a lion has no pity on its prey. Have you noticed? No matter what the animal is, the prey, it could be a giraffe, it could be um, a deer, it could be some kind of other kind of um, uh, creature. It could be, could be an alligator. It could be a snake. It could be anything. The lion, when he goes after it, it'll get it, it'll kill it, and it'll eat it. It thinks nothing about praying for its prey. It just eats it. That's its nature. And the devil is likened to a roaring lion. Pretty vicious, pretty powerful. But the Bible says, here's what you do. You humble yourself before God. Don't think that your flesh, arm in the flesh can defeat him. You cast your care upon him. You trust in God alone for the victory over the devil. Be sober, be vigilant. All right, don't, don't do crazy things. Don't get your mind out of out of, don't be out of control in your thinking. Be be sane. Don't do things to your body, to your mind, to make you kind of out of it. Uh, Ephesians six ten says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might." So it comes out like this: Don't depend on your arm of the flesh to overcome the devil. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Our enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places. Not another man, like in a ring, kung fu, or MMA, or boxing, whatever like that. It's not a fleshly, carnal combat. It's about something spiritual. It's about a spiritual being called the devil. And you don't want to trust your flesh. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So don't trust yourself in your own flesh to overcome the devil. You need God's help.
That's why you humble yourself. You don't think you can do it. You don't think, oh, I can do it. No, you're an idiot to think that. You're a fool. You must trust God's power and God's strength. So down to Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. Okay, so we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before God. We cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for us. We remain sober. Remain sober. We keep a clean mind. We keep a mind on the Bible, the Word of God. We put on the armor of God. These are things that we do. These are things that we do. If we want God to help us to have victory over the devil, the things that we are to do is to be sober. We are to humble ourselves. We are to cast all our cares upon Him. We are to put on the armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, we, so he's saying you can. You can overcome the devil. Not because you're a super saint or because you've been saved for a long time. No, but because you are responsible to do the things that the Bible says to do. The best Christian, back up, the Christian that's been saved the longest can still fall to the devil if he does not put into practice the things he should be responsible for. So be sober. Humble yourself. Cast away cares upon him. Put on the armor of God. Those are just four things that are basic to do. Alright, we're wrestling against flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, verse 12, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness. He doesn't just say spiritual forces. He doesn't say spiritual opponents, spiritual enemies. He says spiritual wickedness. Don't ever forget that the devil is this. He is wicked. He's not just your enemy, but he is wicked. He just doesn't want to overcome. He just doesn't want to take over more property in your heart. He wants to do things to because he's wicked. He wants to put those syringes on, the tourniquets around you for seven hours. He wants you to suffer. That's the devil. That's the devil. That's the Pharaoh that we face today. So you do the things that you need to do, and it's not unreasonable, and it's all doable. You don't have to be really, really go to seminar to learn these things. Just the Bible says, be alert, be vigilant, be sober all the time. Be consistent in your spiritual routines. Do you have spiritual routines? Do you have each day spiritual routines? Each week do you have spiritual routines? Do you do things by routine? In the morning you get up, do you do certain things before you face your world? When you go to bed, before you go to bed, do you do certain routines before you go to sleep? Throughout the day, do you have spiritual routines? You gotta keep your spiritual routines. You gotta be vigilant about the spiritual routines. Now, people sometimes think, well, then I have to do certain things. Well, whatever you gotta do to keep up your spiritual routines, that's what you do. If you be carrying on something with you to remind you, if you be having a bottle, whatever it is, keep up your spiritual routine. If you gotta say no to certain activities so you can spend time doing your spiritual routine, that's what you gotta do. Be vigilant about that. An inconsistent Christian is gonna have an inconsistent walk. See, one day spiritual routines are, are done, and then next next for the next few days, it, it, so you're up and down like this on a seesaw, or in a, in a, like a yo-yo. You're up and down. You gotta have maintenance on your spiritual routines. Maintenance on your spiritual routines. I'm not in the military, never have been. I sometimes regret it, but most of the times, I'm glad it wasn't civilian all my life. <laughs> because, you know, I didn't wanna go to Vietnam. But uh, I know that if you're a soldier, you gotta do, you gotta do some routines. Maintain your equipment. Keep your rifle clean, the whole bit. Boots, pots, the whole thing. Whatever is required for a good soldier, he's got to do that. Otherwise, the time will come, 
when you're needed, called upon, and you're not ready. I was reading a book about uh, the first Gulf War um, from a chaplain's viewpoint and how he was prepared to go in with that first division staging in Kuwait to go into Iraq. They were there for like 20-something days and then they crossed over into Iraq and there he learned about what he should do as if he was a guy in the front lines. He was in the front lines in a rare way, but they had to have uh, so many chaplains for the division and uh, he's talking about how they had to prepare equipment and how sometimes guys would sleep uh, with the gear or the boots, right, whatever, so that when, when incoming, right away they didn't know what to do. No thinking, just reacting. They had to maintain their gear and be maintained up here too. They have to be ready at any moment to respond. And so that's the life that they went through. The Christian life is kind of like that. You have to maintain your spiritual routines. Be sober, be vigilant. Resist, verse number nine says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. All right, resist. But the verse continues, I have to tell you this, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So he's saying, what you got to do, they have to do. What you're facing, they face. You're not the only one to be persecuted by the devil or harassed or being mistreated by the devil. Others went before you. So you're one of many others who are going to get hit by the devil, this cruel being. So prepare yourself. Resist, be steadfast, vigorous. Whole armor of God. Put it on. You put it on. You humble yourself. You resist. You be sober. You do it. Now, I cannot be sober for my wife. I cannot be sober for anybody else. Neither can you. You have to be doing these things for yourself. When I was, uh, years ago, decades ago, I was going to drive the big tour buses, you know. I thought that was interesting because I like to drive. But I quit after four days because it was too extreme. But we had a teacher there that was very good. He was one of the best teachers of, in any kind of situation. He taught defensive driving. So we just went through a defensive driving course. And uh, this guy had the biggest hands I ever saw in a man. I thought it was a gorilla in disguise. <laughs> I got big hands. I looked at his nose. It wasn't, it wasn't like a gorilla's nose. You know what? Gorillas have big nostrils. They got big hands. So anyway, this guy, his name is Larry. Larry was a great teacher. He said to the, the class of recruits, he says, who is the most important person on your bus? We all said tourists. Nearly every 30, every one of the parents went up. He says, wrong. And he wasn't, he wasn't nice. He was making a point. He says, wrong. And he hit the rostrum. He said, wrong. You're not the most important. Uh, he says, they're not the most important people. What were we thinking? Tourists, did you spend money, tourists, you know? He said, he said this, he said, you, with that big finger fist, he said, you, the driver, you are the most important person on the bus. And then it dawned on us, yeah, we get it. Because you control that bus of 70 people. If you're out of control, it affects 70 people. He says, you got to know this bus, the air pressure, the low pressure of valves, the high pressure of valves, how the brake works, how to turn, how to avoid, and we have to go through the cones, all this kind of thing. I knocked over so many cones. That's why I didn't do it. I'm not comfortable with that. We had to, if I had continued, I'd have to do the routines to make a good big bus driver. I wasn't willing to do that. Therefore, I didn't do it. But as a Christian, you've got to do the routine things spiritually. 
You got to do it. No way around it. Sorry. You cannot be a good soldier of Jesus Christ if you ignore the spiritual routines. You got to keep your equipment well oiled. You got to keep your gear and everything else, the whole thing. And so put it on and resist and you cast all your cares upon him. And so Jesus really is our victory in this. When, when <laughs> you remember, remember this, this, this big guy came down. I'm going to quit here because this speaks about victory through God's help. This little boy went down to bring some cheeses to his brothers on the front lines. And so they're all hunkered down in a, in a, in a, um, the word I'm looking for is trench. And they're all like this. For 40 days, they were terrified because a guy came down from the other side, coming to the valley, and when he walked, the ground almost shook. You know that when uh, the king of England, during the time of the revolution, had a, had a carriage that he was riding in when he went somewhere? I think it weighed three tons. And when it rolled, they said that the earth shook when it rolled because it's so big, pretty massive. This giant comes down and they all, shh, don't see it, they might see us. And the giant said this, fee fi full fum, I smell the sweat of Hebrew bones or something like that. And they're all scared of him. And he's blaspheming the name of God. David hears that, he says, what in the world is going on here? Now he's not a professional soldier, but David is a good guy because he's got this, this respect and honor and love for God. And he knows what God has done for him. He killed a bear and a lion because God helped him. And he sees this dirty, filthy Philistine come down and he's doing this. Now how can I make an arrogant face like some of these athletes? Like, my, like my LeBron James. Like I'm God. This Egyptian, the Egyptian, the God comes down and he's just, he knows no one's going to challenge him one to one. Nobody takes up the charge. It, it should have been, it should have been Saul, King Saul, because he's the tallest guy, not him. And so David is rightly indignant and he takes up the challenge. He eventually goes out there with the sling and five stone. You know what he does? You know the story, don't you? You know the story? Everybody knows the story. I'm sitting there, you know the story. And he goes up there, he throws that thing and that thing hits him right up. Boom. That silly Goliath was so self-confident, he took off his helmet before he, uh, he faced the, the, you know, Goliath, uh, David. And that, that was his downfall. Took off his helmet. What an what a idiot. He was self-confident. He trusts his own flesh. Well, maybe God said, take off your helmet. He did. And the guy got killed. He got his head chopped off. David did this. And he shook that head like that. You see that? Now he wasn't bragging about, about I did it. He's saying, really, look what God has done. And uh, that's kind of like us as Christians. We're not going to throw a rock at the devil because he's a spiritual being. But you're not going to be a victim to the devil, this Pharaoh, just because he is powerful. Is it not true that God is more powerful than the devil? Yeah. Is it not true that he can? Of course he can, but you have to be responsible. And just like the Hebrew people had to have divine intervention for them to leave Israel, uh, Egypt in Exodus 12, 
God has to intervene for you and for me for us to overcome the devil too. So everything is God doing that or uses us responsibility in these matters so that we can have victory over the devil. Divine intervention. That means God has to do it. Now, the best way and the first way is like what these verses said, submit, cast away cares upon him, put on the arm of God, and that's how you do it. Okay? That's how you do it. The devil is powerful, but he's he doesn't have to overcome you. You don't have to be one of his victims. But this man in Mark 5, boy, he was in pain. He was in torment. Tor he was tormented. You don't have to be that way. You get tormented in your mind and in your heart. You'd be so uneasy in your life as a Christian when it shouldn't be that way. The devil maybe got a foothold. Maybe the foothold is because of music, because of something that you're watching, maybe because you're doubting stuff that you should dabble in, and it's a it's a doorway to the uh, through the occult or through uh, you know, you're getting involved in stuff you shouldn't get involved in. You need to renounce stuff like that, if that be the case. Disavow that, confess it, get away from that thing, burn it, throw it away, do something, and, and get your mind here and begin to practice what the Bible says. That would be one thing. And just, just don't get carried away thinking, I have to have a certain feeling to become victorious. Sometimes we take ourselves out and put more stress on ourselves, we get more distressed because we think we're supposed to feel a certain way if we're going to have spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare. No, you don't have so many special feelings. You just really come down to something very simple. It's almost embarrassing to say, but I shouldn't be because it is true. It comes down to obeying what the Bible says, being responsible for what the Bible says, and that's how you have victory of the devil. Feelings may come, but it's not a feelings-based thing. If you go by feelings, you'll be still up and down. So your feelings are regulated by what you do with the Bible. I feel good because I did what the Bible says. Okay? Sometimes, now personality is a part of it, but sometimes I feel no feelings. But I'm just obeying the Bible, therefore I'm being vigilant in my spiritual routines. But I don't have all these, oh, I feel so good. I don't feel like that a lot of times. I don't have this sensation like people say that they ought to have. You don't feel that all the time. But you do intellectually understand, I did the right thing, I should feel good. If feelings don't come, I still do the right thing. That's how it's supposed to work out. So, Pharaoh, he's around today, but he's not called Pharaoh. He is the devil. He's still around. He's not dead. He's not locked up yet. Millennium hasn't started yet. So he's around doing his thing. He's got some taskmasters around, demons, devils, that does his bidding. So he's pretty, he's pretty influential. He's pretty all around in that sense. And you're the targets. The lion's after you. He's prowling in the high grass. And so you just do what you ought to do. Okay? Amen. All right? Yeah, Pharaoh's cruel, all right? But the devil's much crueler than he is. All right, let's pray. Father, help us. To not be afraid of the devil. At the same time, don't play with the devil. And don't be tempted to get into errors that would cause us to be influenced by the devil. Or spiritual wickedness in high places. Help us to just understand that it's complicated, but it's not. What does the Bible say? I should do what the Bible says. 
What should I avoid? I should avoid that. What should I do? That's what I should do. Those instructions are not hard. You've already given it to us. There's not a whole lot more to add to what the Bible says. We just need to practice what it says. So, Father, help us. Our heads are bowed and we're thinking about these things as Christians, most of all, first of all. God has to intervene, otherwise it doesn't happen. But he intervenes because you do the right things from the Bible. And then he steps in. That's how it goes. Don't expect a miraculous bolt from heaven, lightning kind of thing, earth open. No, no. Those are things that you don't look for. You just look to be obeying what the Bible says. And after a period of time, you will see that that's the success that you'll have against this Pharaoh of ours. I need to ask you the question. The devil is also vicious and evil in the sense that he is the deceiver. He deceives people into thinking that their religion is personal salvation. That is one of the greatest evil things that he does to deceive people to think that their religion is their salvation. We had songs this morning about he is mine, I belong to him, and how great it is to be saved. The word saved has come up a dozen times today, it seems like. Saved, saved. The devil is great at disguising the truth of salvation, how easy it is, making people think they have to be religious to be saved. And even then, they're not guaranteed it, but I'm telling you today, the Bible tells us we are guaranteed personal salvation through Jesus Christ by simple faith in him. Trust in him and you'll be saved. S-A-V-E-D. You want to look at your heart. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. So examine your heart to see if you know Christ as your Savior. Do you have Christ as your Savior or are you trusting a religion? Are you trusting what you do or are you trusting what Jesus Christ has already done? Make sure about that. Now, a lot of us today, we're able to show people how to be saved. And if that is your concern today, if you're not sure that when you die, you'll be in heaven with Christ, then if I were you, I would make sure that I have that assurance. I would be happy to explain to you what the Bible says about being saved and others would be too. Let us know. Make sure of your salvation. The devil is the deceiver. He'll make you think that there's a substitute for the blood of Christ, but there is none. Let us help you today. If that be you here or if that be you watching on the video, then we'll be glad to help you. Let us know how we can help you about your personal salvation. Father, bless what was said and use it to draw people to Christ. Help us as Christians to be strong in the faith by doing the routine spiritual things to overcome this cruel, evil Pharaoh. And if someone is not sure of their salvation, help someone who is listening or watching make sure about that. The fires of Maui reminds us that there is a real hell. It's a very unpleasant thought to think of over 50 people killed died consumed in fire it's so distasteful to even mention it but lord your bible says there's a place called hell and i pray that people will understand by what happened on maui a reminder of eternity without christ so help people to take that seriously because once it's too late it is too late while they have breath while there is time there is hope that they can turn to christ so i pray that you help people to take that seriously 
and come to Christ very soon. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.